You're listening to The Morning Muster, where we get sailors together to listen to the weather report and, well, to talk about the most important topics of the day. So grab a cup of hot chai. Or a coffee. I'm Teresa Carey. And I'm Ben Carey. This podcast is produced by Morse Alpha. We offer rigorous coastal and offshore sail training expeditions. Check out morsealpha.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Fiorentino. Fiorentino makes smart products that slow or stop your boat's drift during a storm or mechanical failure at sea. They have an improved parachute anchor and a shark drogue, which can be used as either a speed limiting drogue or for emergency steering. We've actually tested both aboard Rasanante when we were doing emergency preparedness drills. They were easy to store and deploy and really super stout. And Fiorentino is offering a discount if you mention the Morning Muster podcast. Find them at para-anchor.com. What I wanted to talk about today was offshore passages. You guys have both done recent passages that were possibly exciting. I know Rob's was. I'm not sure about Dorothy's yet. Mine was, yes. Mine was exciting. Yep. It was definitely exciting. And uh, Dorothy's, I'm not sure how your recent one was exactly, but you'll tell us. But I know, Dorothy, you've done a bunch yep. of north and south trips on your boat. So I figured we could have a, a good discussion about passages and uh, lessons learned and that sort of thing and just just observations and thoughts on it. Sounds good. You both uh, have just done offshore passages in the past month, I guess, and one was in the Atlantic and one was in the Pacific. Is that right, Dorothy? Yeah, yeah. Mine was in uh, in the Pacific from the from the Galapagos Islands to the Marquesas Islands in French Polynesia. Wow, nice. And Rob, what about yours? So mine was uh, I came from Puerto Rico and uh, wound up in North Carolina. I was heading forward to Hampton, Virginia, but wound up in North Carolina. Ah, yeah, right. And Dorothy, how many passages have you done, actually? I think we've done five passages going back and forth to the Caribbean, to the Lesser Antilles, either um, usually to the British Virgin Islands from Hampton or British Virgin Islands from Rhode Island. So five general on that general route, and then this one in the Pacific. Right on. And this this recent passage was just you. Uh, Fred didn't go. Your husband, Fred, right? Fred didn't go. I went as crew uh, with some friends that had uh, the husband of the couple. They, they were on a they're on an oyster, uh, 43 foot oyster. And the couple uh, the husband on that couple had done one of the passages with us uh, down to the BVI. Oh, I got you. So you guys were just kind of trading crew there. That's cool. Well, uh, we met on a training that we took in Seattle. And uh, and that's how we connected. And they lived in Annapolis, and we just kept up. Ah, okay, good, good, good. So you guys have been friends before, yeah. Um, and Rob, what was this passage you just you just did? Basically, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to sort of be in between jobs. So I I wound up in December. I took a passage south, and then uh, boat was down there for a little bit. I came back, did you know, did Christmas and home, all that good stuff, and then uh, picked up a t- different crew. So I just one, just me and one other friend of mine went down south, and then coming back. Uh, picked up two other guys. One guy had sailed with quite a bit and another guy that I'd known for quite a long time. And then we we headed north. And obviously the northern passage, and we were a little early, obviously in being in February. And then the northern, you know, coming north is a little more, uh, it's a little more interesting, right? The weather prediction is just, a, it's a bit trickier, right? Going south is, you know, you could get the weather window coming out of, you know, Hampton was not that bad. You know, you had a couple of days and the further south you get, the more stable the weather's going to be. So you can kind of count on that. But coming back is obviously the opposite. And so... Yeah, because you're heading up, you're, you're heading up to where the fronts are coming off. So you're you're going toward them instead of away from them. Yeah. Exactly, and you're heading you're right. You're heading out of stable. You know, uh, once you're in the trades, it's obviously not too bad. And 
further you get out of that, you know, things are less and less stable. So I think that was my third passage, counting one that I did with Morse Alpha. So that I did that Bermuda trip with you guys, and then um, and then I did that was a passage down. I and I'd taken my boat out a couple times and out in the Hampton area, and once in a pretty heavy pretty heavy conditions. And I, you know, I, I have Vancouver 36, it's, you know, got the full keel with the cutout. I mean, it's, it's a very, very sea kindly, you know, boat. So it can definitely, it can take a lot more than I can. So. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a great little boat. We looked at a bunch of those actually, cause I, I thought that would be a super boat for us to move up to from the uh, BCC. Right. And uh, I thought it was a super cool boat. We called it like a little shoe boat. Cause the way it looks, yep. it kind of looks like a shoe. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a great boat. I really, it's been very good to me. So I'm definitely good, good, good. And Dorothy, and you said you were on the Oyster 43? The Oyster 43 for the Pacific Passage. And uh, our boat, as you know, Ben, because we went on your Morse Alpha, you came on, uh, you came on our boat for Morse Alpha training, um, is a uh, Beneteau uh, 42 foot. Yeah, it's a 423, right? Yeah, 423. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually one hauled out right next to us right now here in Annapolis. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it's been a great boat, and there's a lot of things about the boat that I really like. And uh, and it was interesting, though, being on a different boat and just uh, how it feels different and rides differently. But, you know, some things I like better on our boat and some things I like better on that boat. So that was just interesting to change it up. Yeah, that's right. And they're, they're roughly about the same size, which is just interesting to uh, get that comparison. Yeah. Well, the the uh, Oyster is a center cockpit, so that had, that was quite different. Oh, yeah. Right, 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 right. Kind of like our boat, center cockpit. Oh, yeah. No, I, I did. I actually, no, I get your, I, I did do one other passage on a Beneteau 50 something. I helped crew on that, brought it up from the Bahamas up to Annapolis. And that, yeah, it is, it is different being on a different boat. I mean, it's that, I agree with you on that. It's, you know, obviously a 50 foot boat is way different than a 36 foot boat, but it's, you know, it's a way wide. You can kind of go fast as long as you're on the right sail, but, you know, going to weather, it was just, it would just slam if you were not careful. You had to really back it off to keep it from slamming. So it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. Yeah. You, you mean, your boat, Rob. The no, no, slamming. that was when I was on that Beneteau, you know, it was like, it's, uh-uh. you, know, you know, it was an older one. I don't, I don't think it was the, you know, you know, great cruising boat from that point of view. But if you're trying to get, you know, we had to go into a little bit of, we were going to weather just a little bit and man, you really had to back it off. It just would come off waves and just, and I, and I got lucky. I was unlucky on that one. I had the, I was the last one on board. So I got the, the main stateroom, which had a, a bed literally, right in the center of the stateroom. So, which is almost no good underway. So it's like sleeping, like in this L position, you know, your feet on the bulkhead to try to not fall out of your rack and you'd come off a wave and just about get airborne. It was, yeah, it was exciting on that one a couple of times. Right. I mean, that's so important is getting good sleep and that can really make or break a passage sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rob, I want to hear about this passage you had. You had some weather, I remember, because I was kind of following along on, on Facebook there. We did, yeah. You know, so the patches, you know, just to sort of set the stage, you know, the patches south was actually fairly straightforward. We had a little bit of weather on day one. I guess kind of, it's curious. I knew it was going to come. It hit naturally right as we hit the Gulf Stream. And it blew in pretty hard. It's like 35 plus, but it was all behind us. So, I mean, I literally just got a little bit of Geno out and just you know, just a little bit of head sail out and just ran off. We just basically ran right across the Gulf Stream. It wasn't no big deal. And then after that, it kind of died. You know, and then, then the trades kicked in for us very early on that one. That was a fairly easy passage. You know, it's kind of just standard run of the mill. And then, but this one coming back was, it, we had everything. It was a little bit rough starting out. Uh, the winds were a little bit, not quite in the traditional trade. So it was, I think it was a little bit north of that. And so the sea state, once we got under out of Fajada was actually quite, just very choppy. And so one, one of the crew was pretty ill and I, you know, I, I don't usually get seasick, but, but you definitely feel the funk of it as I like to say. I mean, and so, 
you know, everyone sort of fills the funk. So then after that, the wind sort of died and we were like spent like, I think like four days in calms. So like, and we had very little wind, had to motor quite a bit, but then we knew we were getting towards weather. And so it, I had a friend of mine that was, uh, he was basically doing uh, weather routing for us back in Champaign. You know, we talked to him several times a day. And so, yeah, we knew we were running into the system, you know, that again, I had, um, I used, I was using a Garmin communicator and you can get uh, ocean weather on that. It's sort of like a spot forecast. It gives you a good idea, but it, you know, really what you want to see in this case is probably like that, you know, for weather routing from a, doing it yourself, you want to see more like a grid file that you can, you know, sort of see what, how this thing is developing. And he tried to articulate that to us, which I think I understood. And we knew we were going to get heavy and it, and it did. And so it came in and we, um, we got, we started getting the boat ready and, you know, put the staysail up, got like the third reef in the main. And and we knew it was going to come in in the middle of the night. So we just go ahead and had all that done, you know, ready to go. So, you know, as it built up, we weren't going to have to do a lot of stuff outside in the middle of the night. Uh, so then where the first really exciting thing happened was, um, you know, I've had an issue with my furler and I think the, the nut had come loose again on the cage Then the cage rotated over and wound up chafing out the, the furling line. Mm. And so then that was, the, so that was like two o'clock in the morning, bam, get your full Genoa, just whop, goes straight out. Like, you know, so oh. that got excited. Yeah. So, you know, we're like in, you know, 30, 35, it, it was, it was okay. Uh, you know, everything you know, it, it took a while to get it sort of down and, you know, back onto the boat and then roll it back into the cockpit. I mean, it took a bit. And only one time when, I think when the halyard sort of hung up on the, bringing it down, did it, it, a couple of times it started to load a little bit. And that's when I got super concerned about, you know, I just, we just can't let it load the rig like that. But, you know, we got the halyard cleared and got it down on the boat and rolled this big wet mess up and, you know, hauled it back to the cockpit. So... No part of that was I scared, but I definitely was, the anxiety level was definitely high, right? You're definitely, you know, it didn't feel like any grave danger, but it's like, but it's still nonetheless, you're in the middle of the night, you're up on the boat, you know, we're, we're clipped in, obviously we're all, all that safety gear was in place, you know, but nonetheless, you're still, you, know, you got to go all the way to the bow, you know, get things unhooked and all that. So it was, uh, you know, definitely that part of it was a bit stressful, but we got it all back in then got it back. The boat at that point was doing okay. Mm-hmm. Now, this uh, why did why did the line chafe through again? So you know that you know that cage it sits on the front. It's an older school that stainless steel cage. Yeah. So if that if that window it's not lined up exactly correct, and that nut comes loose a little bit on that, ah, and the yeah. cage will start to rotate around. And I think if I had to do that again, I would I would have probably do some type of wrap tension. And just load that so that it's not even on the furling line. There's no need to be on that, right? There's no need to even have anything that just let it just sit there and sort of flop around. It's, as long as it's not loaded, it's probably not going to chafe. And load that in a different way so you know it's not going to deploy. And again, you know, if I'd have been by myself, that really would have been, I mean, that would have been hours worth of work to get that sorted out, right? I mean, it's like, you know, as it, as it turns out, it's probably like 40 minutes, an hour. We probably got that kind of all sorted out and back to the cockpit. I, that's what I kept thinking. I was like, wow, if I was by myself, that would have been, that would have been way, way more excitement than I wanted to deal with if I could have had to get out of that so sure right and I'm, I'm sure you guys were getting wet up there right sea state hadn't built up too badly i mean it's probably like in the you know three meter range somewhere like that but it wasn't too bad well that's pretty um, big three well, meter I mean, that's pretty big yeah, i mean you know eight to ten i mean it's like i mean i'm saying but it wasn't like it wasn't sweeping the decks or anything at that point it was rough but it wasn't terrible so oh that's good i mean later as it, as it built you definitely would see the waves that sweep it you know you would be down below and you would feel it because at that point it was sort of forereaching. reaching you see the wallop and you, you see watch it just go right across the cabin top 
stop. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Right. I mean, that kind of reminds us, reminds me of our passage out to Bermuda that you did with us yep. when we were just yep. heading right into them and just the waves were just flowing all the way back to the, aft, you know, the cockpit there. Again, that was one of the things that worked out well in that passage, right? Is that you, I got some experience of being in, you know, slightly heavier than normal, you know, not just your standard, I'm on a reach running down, you know, downwind, which is nice, but he says you get a little bit of experience doing that. And I, and I think, and then the, the one thing I'll close on is I think one of the things we've talked about that we didn't do quite as well from the more southward point of view is, you know, the boat checks. I mean, and we did that to some degree, but I think in, if I had to do it again, I would have been much more vigilant. Like knowing what I know about, like you know, where the, the failure that furling on is like, you know, get a flashlight on that once an hour at least. And again, the boat check becomes super important because, you know, dealing with chafe, you've got to stay ahead of that. I think that was the one certainly immediate action that we sort of figured out. Right. I mean, it's so, so important, that kind of stuff. And it just gets so mundane after a while because you're like, I'm looking at the same thing and I don't see any difference. This all looks fine to me, but then it just takes one little thing like that. It, it's tough to stay vigilant on those boat checks, but it's, it's so important. On the passage that we just did in the, um, and the Pacific, I don't know, you get some relaxation and before you know it, the preventer line is is over the side and it's actually caught on the vent for the head. You know, then you don't want that to be under tension and pull. So, you, you know, just, just little things like that, that you might that you might not notice if you don't do a walk around and, uh, and check it out, even though it's the same thing every time and there's usually nothing wrong. But sometimes mm-hmm. you find like, what's this little thing on this little piece of hardware on the deck? <laughs> Where did that come from? Right. Oh, yeah. That's always a classic, isn't it? Yeah. It, it does, and it does happen. I found little pieces of hardware on the deck doing a bow check. Yeah. Yeah, we found some rings, you know, those those little rings, those, some little rings on the deck. And I, oh, that's not good. <laughs> you don't know where they come from necessarily. If you if you can't figure out where it come from, at least you have a heads up that to be on the lookout that there's <laughs> something that doesn't have its ring. Right. So, Dorothy, tell me about that passage you did. Um, how, how many miles was that? That's quite a long trip, right? That was... Uh, well, by the by a map, 2980 nautical miles. But by the time we actually did it, it was about 3200 nautical miles. Wow. And the Pacific is really big. We, we were really only, you know, to the Marquesas Islands in French Polynesia, what we were maybe halfway across. I mean, it's it's really big. Yeah. 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 So w- was that an easy passage? Was it hard? What'd you, what'd you find out there? Because I've never been in the Pacific myself, so I'm curious. Well, weather-wise, we we had a really easy passage. It was um, it was not not like Rob's experience. We didn't have uh, we didn't have any upwind sailing. We had all uh, beam beam or broad reach really all the way. We had a few days at the beginning that were really calm, and uh, you know we we were with the World Arc. So uh, one of the great things about being with the Arc is the camaraderie and so on, or being with a rally at all. But one of the downsides is um, you all leave on a certain day. You might have left two days later when there was wind if you were on your own. It's just a trade-off. And um, so the first couple of days, we did a lot of motoring. And, um, you know, then later in the passage, we had to be really careful. In fact, in the last uh, the last three days or so of the passage, the people I was sailing with had routing on predict wind, which we, we haven't used before. So that was new to me. And uh, and all four all four weather models said to go north to get wind. And we did that. And there was another boat about even with us. And we got in a full day before they did, which was good because that was instrumental in me getting the last possible flight out of French Polynesia. Oh, right. Before the whole COVID-19 thing. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want that to dominate the conversation, but during the time of the passage, 
um, you know, basically French Polynesia closed and international and inter-island flights were canceled and, um, you know, there was no going to be no repatriation possible. Be prepared to ride it out in French Polynesia. And, you know, uh, eventually, though, it did work out for me to get home. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because I've seen a couple of those horror stories of people, you know, in different parts of the world. It does. It definitely I I can't imagine what that would be like to be. That would certainly be challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I I was very relieved to be able to get home. Oh, for sure. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. I can't even imagine. Are you are you basically saying that Predict Wind helped you get home on time? Well, yeah, I guess you could say that because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we so we had weather uh, challenges, but of a completely different kind than yours, Rob. Ours was more uh, light wind challenges than heavy weather. We had thunderstorms one night. That was the worst we had. Of course, the night before we got in, and uh, that was really the worst weather we had. But we did have a head sail failure. We uh, about two hours before we got into Nukuhiva in French Polynesia, the, the head sail fell down. And uh, that was a pin in the shackle at the top of the mast that failed and um, the sail came down. Crazy thing about the passage that that, that one, even though we had that one heavy section was all that, but we had tons of light air coming into that, which, you know, I, again, sort of always reminds me of the Matissier quote, right? It's what, you know, the storms scare me, but like, I really can't stand the calms. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm getting that wrong, but it's like, yeah, the calms are just, that's just tough. I don't know. Light air sailing, when it's so light, you can barely even have your sails up or you're going to have to motor. It's just, man, that is, you know, we swam every day, which was kind of nice. And we had a really cool dolphin encounter when we were motoring once. You know, when that high pressure was sitting right over us, it was, you know, crystal, just, you know, one of those brilliant blue days. And like, and we had dolphins on the bow for like, you know, 20 minutes. And that was, yeah, that was unbelievable. So. Right. You you had a little bit of everything, didn't you, on that passage? And I think that. Yeah, we did. Exactly. That's pretty normal in that part of the world. I mean, Dorothy, you've done that same trip numerous times, and, and I'm sure you've seen that too, that, that it's just so dicey on that passage that, uh, you know, Caribbean back north to the States. We've had pretty good luck on weather. I think a combination of being super careful and luck, because no matter how careful you are, you, you can't foresee the weather for the whole time. So we've had good luck too. And I bet I bet you probably did them a little bit later than I did. I think if I had to do it again, I don't know if I would do a February. There has to be a little more luck involved, I think, to pull off a February one. Yeah. No, we've done it in um, May. Yeah, way later. Right, exactly. I mean, I think that the problem is, you know, being in February, you're definitely at a, you know, you can be prepared and all that. And I was reasonably, I, you know, I, I learned a lot, certainly. But, you know, the, the luck factor, your, your, your luck window is a lot smaller. <laughs> Yeah, because the fronts are coming off every three days or something. Right. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. It's hard to focus in sometimes. <laughs> um, Rob, you, you said you were getting you're getting a weather forecasts from someone via the inReach. Is that what you were saying? The- right. So we, you know, so I had an inReach communicator, you know, so we're pretty pleased with that overall for comms on and off the boat. And then he was, you know, so a friend of ours and he's kind of a, you know, he's, retired sciencey kind of guy so he so he but you know he was he was getting all the ocean weather looking at the systems you know looking at different models trying to say hey you need to you know think about you know here it's going to come here this is when the wind's going to come you know it's going to come from here there's a system to the south of you you know what he was telling me that i think at the time there were two competing systems because once we came through that we had like the wind i did like a 180 you know and then came back i mean it was you know we had some really unsettled weather so, uh, you know, again, February, maybe not the smartest call. Yeah, I was just curious, how, how are you getting those reports? Like via text message? Yeah, just so uh, he would just say text. Sometimes he would just cut and paste the entire, you know, whatever that thing. is. So then the problem with the inReach, this was a little problem. It, 
it is not guaranteed to be exactly in sync. So a couple of times you would post these long ones and you would get the messages not in the right order. Uh. So then you had to sort of paste, you had to paste it back and then you could, you know, but you could look. And I was trying to do, I was trying to do a little bit of dead reckoning anyway. So I, I had, you know, the, the chart playing, I did a little bit of celestial on the strip just to kind of tinker with that a little bit. You know, so that if you tell me where the coordinates were, you could sort of say, okay, well, I can sort of see where things are. With the inReach Navigator, you can actually give it a point in there and it'll give you a marine forecast. And it'll give you, you know, what the wind's going to be for the next, you know, several hours, I think uh, up to 36 hours maybe, and what the waves are going to be and that type of stuff. So it's, you know, it's a halfway decent spot forecast. And again, it works okay. But, you know, I think in the downside was in that system, it was complex enough, but there were competing systems. Then the, the, you know, like I said, the grip file is really what you want to see. You want to see something so you can sort of see these systems and, you know, make a you know more informed weather routing decision. Yeah, for sure. Now, Dorothy, you said you, you on that particular uh, Pacific Passage, you, you used the uh, Predict Wind. But what do you normally use? You said that was the first time you used Predict Wind. Um, on our boat, we have been using um, Zygrib, which is free, and uh, so I could download text or you know I just. Uh, the textual grib files and load them into Zygrib. I think that's what it's called, Zygrib, and then um, uh, play them out. So, and then also combine with Chris Parker uh, by email and SSB. Yep. And how, what, what uh, device did you use to get those gribs? Uh, we used Iridium also, sort of the generation before the Iridium Go. And for the email, uh, for the communications, we were using Oceans. The Oceans had a device that um, allowed the sat phone to download the data via the Oceans device, then into the computer. I got you. So you had an old school sat phone style. Yeah. Uh, with an Iridium. Okay, got you. Yeah, and oceans. Yeah, I've used the oceans before. That's not bad. Yeah, and the um, the folks I was traveling with this uh, this last passage, they had uh, UU Plus for the email, and they had their they had the uh, download all integrated in their electronics. So you know, whereas I would have to. Um, get out the sat phone and kind of wire it all up and put the sat phone right outside the companionway. <laughs> yep. Theirs was all set up, so all they had to do was go on the computer and download the mail. It was all uh, integrated. Uh, so that's something for us to dream of. Dream of. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of into the, the more manual process myself. I feel like I like to be a part of it fully as much as I can. You know? It's true. And you're less, um, like I found myself checking email a lot more often because it was so easy. Whereas um, when you have to set it up and check it, maybe you just do it once or twice a day. Uh-huh. And, and it also gives you something to do, in my opinion, because <laughs> sometimes there isn't that much to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not really. Sometimes. It certainly depends on the passage, though. Um, okay, cool. So tell me about what kind of routines you guys had on, the, on your passages or that you like to keep um, as far as cooking or sleeping. And how, how does how does the daily uh, routine look, Rob? Go ahead. I'll let you start with that, Rob. Sure. Uh, the going down was probably that was the the easiest one. We fell into a pretty good routine. That since there were only two of us, I think we did four hours during the day and three hours at night. That was what we did and switched on the twelve hour shift over. Um, that's a little, you know, but we were pretty generous with the naps during the day. So I don't, neither one of us actually got overly tired again, since it was fairly straightforward passage. And we just sort of fell into a routine of like, we would cook, you know, again, I guess this was, I guess really this was my fourth passage or fifth, you know, fifth ish, but you know, one was a very small one, but yeah, you know, I find it's just like one meal a day usually kind of gets it done. Right. And some, you'll snack for breakfast and maybe if someone's hungry, they'll do, but you know, one decent meal a day, which tends to be, 
you know, that sort of mid-afternoon to evening range, depending on, you know, who's motivated to get it going. On the patches down, I did most of the cooking, which is fine. I don't mind that. And then on the patches back, the uh, one of the other guys like to cook also. So that, And he's actually, uh, unfortunately, I'm not a very uh, creative cook. I'm certainly underway. It's kind of, you know, pasta, or, you know, beans and rice. I mean, it's kind of very simple stuff. So nice thing about it, he was actually pretty, he's, you know, he got some different spices and, you know, curries. And so that was a little bit more, a little more variety, which is all, is very nice. So then coming back up, we did the same thing, except we had a three-section watch. During the, you know, during the, the heavy blow, we kind of shifted to just me and the one other guy, because again, the my one friend got pretty, he was pretty ill. So they just kind of worked on the two of us and we just tried to, you know, make sure one of us was awake and, and going and then just and trying to make sure we were rested. So we came out of that, we were out of that one a little bit tired. And, and you know, I think you're you're tired. I think the, the other issue there we found is that we weren't quite eating enough, certainly weren't drinking enough. So you definitely, you know, although it was only like 36 hours, probably a, a total time, definitely get to the end of that. You definitely want a good meal. Make sure you start hydrating again, that type of stuff. Right. So you, you and essentially, uh, the passage south, you were double handing and the passage north, you had three, but when it got heavy, you only had two. And what, what, what happened for watches when you went down to two people? Right. Well, we, on that one, we just kind of went with the, a little less structured as far as the time, just try to give the other guy as much sleep as you could so that we could, you know, try to keep everyone as fresh as possible. If I felt good, I would stay, you know, I would stay on a little bit longer and vice versa. We, so we were trying to, you know, trying to get at least a little bit of a gap for the other guy to get a, a longer chunk of sleep. I rarely even have to set an alarm, even when I'm tired. I usually can get up for my watches without, I just, I'm usually sort of in tune with what's going on. I feel pretty good about that. I got you. And then, uh, uh, I will say though, so the passage down, so the one guy who went with me and he is, he's, he's a carpenter by trade. And so he, he is one of these guys that has constantly has to fix things. Uh-huh. The funny story of that one. So, what is it? The high field lever. I have, you know, I have a release that my force day is, you know, releasable. Yeah. Nice. Force day is. Good. So, right. So I have, you know, so, you know, those high field levers, it's like a, you know, that little lever you can, you know, so anyway, this thing is like, whatever it's, it's probably the original one for the boat and the pin on the, you know, it's like welded and it's a very machine piece of thing and, it, and, the, and the pin had, had broken and so that, that was out. And so, you know, so he, so he would get up and he goes, man, I, I've got the grind. I think we can fix this. Like, dude, we cannot fix this. <laughs> I mean, he wanted, he so badly wanted to, because it's very finely machined. It's like, well, the pin is like welded flush with, they put the cap on and it's like welded exactly flush with it. Like, dude, there is no way we can fix this. <laughs> but he was determined. He, he worked on that for like an hour. Like, all right, we can't fix it. Sort of the joke. I've always had to have something him to do so uh-huh. you know, and it's great he he and, he and he does he we did we got lots of things done on the boat because he likes to do things and so that was kind of nice and there's always something to do there's always something to do there's always something to do <laughs> <laughs> i'm curious to hear about the routines you keep on your boat uh versus the routines you you, you were doing on on the passage in the pacific on someone else's boats because you, you guys probably got into a nice routine that you and fred double handing your boat for four or five years now and then and then you're just on someone else's boat and doing something totally new let's hear about that well um on our boat uh fred and i whether we're double handing or whether we have crew we've always done uh just what rob said three hour nighttime and four hours in the daytime and uh when it's just fred and me uh because it's a little harder to a little harder to get enough rest when it's just the two of you we always um uh, whichever whichever person has the watch where dawn comes, where the where it gets light out, because that's kind of invigorating what, for, for the dawn to arrive. That watch seems pretty easy, and um, and that person usually lets the other person run out as much sleep as they need. So um, if you're kind of building up a deficit, if you are on the watch where. Uh, 
on a sleep when the dawn is breaking you can you can uh, kind of sleep until you need to wake up but we like the three three hours at night and four hours in the daytime and uh, on the um, on the passage I did in the Pacific it was three hours round the clock and uh, I like that too because every three days you repeated the cycle so you got to you got to have you know the watch where it got dark you got the um, graveyard watch you got the dawn watch and it just kind of rotated every three days uh, it cycled and then uh, finally there was one trip I did from Cuba a uh, friend and I went to Cuba in 2016 and Fred got sick in Cuba and had to fly home so um, so I I was lucky to be able to get some crew from on that case I we were with salty dogs and I was able to get crew from another boat uh, who joined me and we did four hours round the clock and I did the six to ten at night and they did the ten to two and two to six and I slept from ten at night till six in the morning I kept waking up like don't I need to be up there? Don't I need to be up there? But it was it was awesome. It was that. So uh, if you can pull off four hours at night, that is an incredible to be able to sleep for eight hours. Right. And this this passage you had uh, to the Pacific was three people. Yes, it was three people also. One thing that's really key for me is that you have to I have to pre-sleep. So if I know um, the first day I'm going to be on the watch from um, ten to one, I have got to take a nap because if you just it's exciting and you're just out the door and you in you uh you know you're on the ocean and um getting things kind of set up and stabilized and but i find it really important to start napping during the daytime even that first day if you can otherwise it's really hard i find the watches hardest early in the passage and not so hard later on because i get in a rhythm of taking a nap during the day right no i totally agree with that i mean i i my my take on that when I did that passage up from the Bahamas, it, like landed the Bahamas, got the boat ready. It was like a delivery. You know, I was with you know Matt Rutherford and uh, Tom Harkin, and and you know, so we get underway like that afternoon. And I, you know, like you said, you saw the excitement of all that stuff. And then it wound up where I, I wound up taking the first really bad watch, and where I didn't really get a chance to take a nap. Man, that was a tough watch. That yeah, <laughs> such a tough watch. <laughs> it's like wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. First couple of days are always real tough. I think by about day three, everyone feels that they're settled in. Yeah. That's been my experience. But yeah, you know what? When I was t- sailing tall ships, it was always three watches and it was always four hour watches. So I, I that's how I learned was four on eight, eight off. And uh, that's luxurious. Boy, that is just luxury. Yes, it is. I'll tell you what, though, on tugboats, they uh, they double hand and everyone does six hour watches. Right. Oh, right. See that in the Navy. That was what it was in the Navy. Six. It was six on 12 off. Oh, <sighs> That's luxurious too. Wow. Yeah, I kind of like six and six as when we're double handing. I, I find that the uh, because you know when you get off watch, it takes almost sometimes an hour to settle down or something yeah. like that. Depends on when you get off watch. If it's a daytime watch, it takes an hour to settle down. You probably want to eat. You do a little cleaning and this and that. So then you're down to five hours, and then you have to get up early. So you're down to four and a bit. Yeah. And uh, so six, for us. And that that's reasonable, but if you had only four hours, that turns into like two and a half hours. Yeah. So so we find six works out real well for us at least. Um, what other kind of routines do you guys keep on your boat in this passage you just did, Dorothy? Um. You know, cooking. How was had the cooking go, and how did the uh, the cleaning go, and and what other what other else like boat check and engine check and that sort of thing. Well, on a, on our um, on our boat, we check the oil every day, and we. Um, 
do a walk around every day. I mean, every boat has its own routines, so they didn't they didn't have those routines on this passage. But they but we did um, we did have, cook real dinners every night. We really didn't eat out of cans very much. We you know we got we had freshies and we kind of uh, metered them out during the course of the passage. Even toward the end, we were we had a few zucchinis left and onions. You know, just a few th- and cabbage. We had cabbage lasts a long time. I, I feel like there's always cabbage left at the end of a passage. Is that true for everybody? Yeah, which is good. Yeah, because if you um, if you really ran out of everything else, you would eat the cabbage. And so if you have a little cabbage left, it means you you know you got through. So it's a good thing. <laughs> that's the truth. I think I've got a cabbage in our refrigerator right now that's been there for a month and month or two. Well, you'd be surprised if you make some coleslaw out of it. It'd be really good. Oh, and another dish I learned just um, just this year is coal cannon, which is um, cabbage and mashed potatoes. I make it in the pressure cooker. Oh. It is really good. Really, it's, you, you cook the cabbage and potatoes together and then basically mash it all. It's just delicious. Huh, I'll have to try that. That's good. And yeah. another thing that we did that we don't always do regularly, but I'll kind of bring it up when, um, when it seems like there's a need, is... Is to have a um, scrum or a you know a meeting in the morning, and mm. that was something that we that uh, you instituted with us when you when you and Teresa sailed on our boat and t- teaching us how to do ocean passages, and we you know we did it every day then, and we don't always do it every day, but. But sometimes I still will bring that up, and especially when there's anything you might need to talk about in the plan for the day, weather that's coming or um, anything unusual or anything that maybe you need to talk over that didn't go quite how you might have liked it to go the day before. And uh, that whole thing of having a meeting in the morning is, is still something I will uh, do from time to time. Do you do that, Rob? No, I mean, we kind of did that informally, but I mean, but again, I come from a software background, so like I, you know, that I like blameless postmortems, I like scrum type of view of life. I mean, I think those are, you can iterate on those and kind of go. So, I mean, I think we did that somewhat informally, but yeah, I, I, I could see making that a bit more, you know, not for, like I'm, I'm with you, like, you know, every couple of days as you see it, but, but actually making sort of maybe the, the context of the meeting a little more formal than probably the way I did it. But yes, I, I totally get that. You know, after that blow, it was like, okay, well, here's what we should do next time. You know, here's, you know, here's some things we you know, went through the list of things that we, we need to be much more you know vigilant about chafing. You know, I had an, I had an issue with that was the other part is that our bilge pump failed. I was debugging that and we did not successfully debug it. And, and then when I finally got in a port, figured out it was really, a, there was an electrical problem. There's a short on the, on the common going back. But now I have a, I actually have a part of that is have this backup bilge. I mean, you know, I have another electrical bilge pump that I'm going to keep on the boat. So that way, if I plug it in and go, all right, well, it's not the bilge pump. It's just I don't have electricity and I can figure out, I, you know, I can figure out how to get power to it. So, I mean, things like that, like we, you know, sort of talk through how do you, you know, your backup contingency plans, that type of stuff. Yeah, I, that's, I kind of wanted to go right into that and, and talk about some of the lessons you learned there. So that that's one of them. We got Chafe, you just mentioned, checking better for Chafe. And then, um, and then well, I don't know what this problem is and how you how you do better with that. But uh, having a spare, I guess, would be it. What other what well, other I, lessons learned? Well, I think the thing is, I, I think the thing with the spare, because I mean, the, the electrical problem presented itself in a very interesting way. So I, I, you know, pull everything out so that I, I, at this point, I just cut the float switch out of it. I didn't even, I said, I don't care. I just want to be able to turn the pump on. And I want, you know, to eject water off the boat. Right. So I, I get it all, get it all wired up, put the voltmeter on it, 12 volts. Great. You know, once I put the pump on it, 
nothing. So then it just doesn't dawn on me that I have a, a short somewhere back and it was on the common. I didn't later find it. Again, had I run that from like a different electrical source, I would have been able to been able to prove that, well, the pump actually still does work. And I just need to, you know, be a bit more creative about how to get this back into, into, into play. And then I can worry about debugging it later. So I think, you know, again, if we'd had a second pump, that would may have been faster to do that. Cause I assumed there was a problem with the pump, which was not true. Mm. And that was, you know, that was the problem there and the debugging, just not really running that to ground, so to speak, no pun intended on the, and then, and then the other one that made this kind of exciting was, uh, so, you know, I have one of those um, Edson, you know, one gallon pump, you know, type of, and it, again, probably original install. Yeah. But the problem is that the, that, that pump gasket had actually started to fail. So like, you know, so then I'm starting to get bubbling. And so now it's become less efficient in pumping. And so again, you know, that, that was trickier is to, I was trying to think, well, what would you do to, should you pump, you know, 10 gallons out of that once per passage or, you know, just to make sure mm. that you, you know, that everything is going and it's not, you know, because that, that was one that just kind of slipped by. You just kind of go, oh yeah, it's there. I've got, I've got this backup bilge pump. Well, it turns out, you know, when it comes down to it now, I don't really have it. Right. So it's like, that was, uh, you know, again, trying to figure out how to incorporate a check of something that you don't use very often, like a, you know, a, a backup manual bilge pump to say, all right, yeah, because that gasket shot and I'm going to replace that and that's fine. Or, you know, or have a spare of that on board also. I mean, it's like, you know, I, and again, I, that one's a trickier one because it, you know, this gasket probably, you know, whatever that pumping you know, bladder will probably last 30 years. So I don't, you know, again, having a part that I couldn't find, you know, if I put it on now, I probably wouldn't be able to find it because I would have tucked it in some, you know, godforsaken hole that you can't ever find when you need to, you know, because I did that 30 years ago. I mean, it's, you know, where the failure from the, you know, from the boat check or just the, the you know, the holistic view of the boat is like, what did I do to check to make sure that, to just observe this thing working correctly and it doesn't bubble and, you know, that, that bladder's still completely fine. You know, I, I think if I had to do that again, I'd just make sure before I leave, you know, give the build, the manual build trump a good 10 strokes, make sure it's injecting water and all good. All right, that, that one's off the list. You know, that might be a pre-underway check from now on, you know, to, to make sure that, you know, all right, I, I can get I can get water off the boat with a manual. Because, you know, I've got a pump that I thought didn't work that actually did, and I have a, a manual pump that it turns out the bladder's kind of gone bad after all these years. And, you know, I, it's that, that part of it just... That distance it easy with me of being you know pulled prepared to get water off the boat because that's obviously pretty important especially in and in, when you're in heavy heavy seas. Sure is, yeah, yeah. That, so that you do you have a, a pre checklist like that, Dorothy, that you guys use? Um, we have uh, well, we have some things that we always do like we if if we're going to run the engine we always check the oil uh we, and then if it's on and off more than one time in a day we just check it once in a day but but any day the the first time we're going to start the engine that day if we are we always check the oil um we do a walk around in the morning every day maybe another one in the another one in the evening often before it gets dark we um and what, are you, what are you doing on that walk around well we're looking for we're looking for change we're looking for um, missing cotter pins or um, just anything that's anything that's out of the ordinary. And as you know, as we've said earlier, there's usually nothing, and you're like, well, this is practically silly, but that you know, you do find things sometimes, and then you're glad you did. Right. We try to have dinner while it's still light out, get the dishes done while it's still light out, so that then the person's not trying to either wash the dishes in red light or they have white light that's blinding to the person in the cockpit. We, you know, we consider what's the weather going to be overnight. 
tonight? Is there a chance for the wind to come up? Should we reef down? We often sail the boat a little harder during the day than we do at night because my feeling is that as important as any equipment on the boat is the rest of the rest as in the sleep of the crew and if you if you can't sleep you know because you're pushing the boat so hard you then people are not rested and that you know then they make mistakes and they don't have good judgment and um, you know we just feel like that's really critical so we often reef down at night and try to get the boat settled before dark okay cool I was also interesting to me uh, going this Pacific passage as crew because I don't necessarily know all of the I mean I didn't know that boat as well I don't know their you know how to work everything as well and um, and what their plans are as well sometimes I would ask in the morning what's what's the plan for the day because they might have in mind that you know that the weather's going to change a little bit or this sail plan that we're on right now is starting to uh, starting to not work so well because it's driving us too far north and so we're going to take down our wing on wing so we can uh, get a little bit more on course and um it's just helpful to know that so that then you can plan and make sure that you take a nap, you know, rather than thinking in your mind, well, I'm going to take my nap at one o'clock and finding out that's when you're going to make a change in the sail plan. You know, uh, so uh, I think having a plan for the day in the morning is also a good idea. Mm, definitely. Um, and uh, getting back to the, the pre-departure checklist, is there is that something you guys have on your boat, Dorothy? Maybe not written down. Yeah. Okay. I'm oh, just curious. No, no, I have I have one that's sort of written down, and I, I mean, but I, I think it's probably in reality go more along the lines of what Dorothy's doing. Is just kind of you have a routine that you go through that you kind of get through, and I, I but I think it's nice that I kind of go back and visit that, just sort of trying to just imprint that routine a little bit better in the system. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm just going to check the manual bilge pump. I mean that type of stuff. So. Yeah, nah, it's it's really good stuff to uh, to yeah obviously note that and and add it to your your routine. It's it's an it's a, always an evolving list. At least it's a, for us it is. Exactly. We definitely have a list of um, a list that we use when we're putting the boat to bed at the end of the season. We have we have lists for everything. So I'm pretty sure we have a pre-departure list. I just I think it's on Fred's iPad. And I think the issue is just, it's just imprinted, right? I mean, like once you once you've gone through it enough, you kind of you know the gist of what you're doing. I mean, it's like and just you kind of revisit to go, okay, yeah. I, I think that's what I sort of do. I mean, I I don't know that I pull it out every time. But I do have it up on I have a Google Drive and I, you know, definitely kind of put it on there, but it's kind of imprinted. Like yeah, it's not like you're flying an airplane or something where you have to go through this right. long, long list. But uh, it could be like that if you wanted. Um, so, guys, let's talk about your first passage versus where you're at now and, and maybe just thoughts on how how does it feel now that, that you've done a few, that you've done a bunch? And if you can remember what your first one felt like, if, if there's any anything along those lines that comes to mind. Maybe even the romantic part about it. Was it, or what you thought a passage would be like versus what it is like now that you've done some? Kind of an open-ended question there. Yeah, I think that, you know, first passage is really being that one to Bermuda with Morse Alpha. And, you know, that was a seven-day, and that was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, again, just you know, kind of you know, bright-eyed on that one, and all just like you know, you're going to get out underway on the ocean and that. Time. So, whereas. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I sort of remember saying watch at night, you know, you get those weird moonlit nights where you just, it's, it's how, what you can see, or just, it sort of looks like you can only see so far and it looks like it almost drops off after that. I, certainly the one going south just very much got in the groove and just, you know, I didn't, you know, felt like we could do this for a long time. And I, I don't know if I could do 30 days. I mean, it must have been what, 
25, 30 days when you're Pastor Dorothy. That's a, I would be curious to see what that would look like one time. But, but yeah, I just, I, I think this being able to sort of get in this groove that you sort of felt like you could, you had control of, you know, control is in whatever means, whatever that means when you're in the ocean, because you don't have, you know, you don't have control over much, but it's, uh, you know, that was the difference. You know, one is definitely the sort of bright eyed and all kind of, you know, crew versus like sort of doing on your own. It's like, okay, wow, this is, you know, just, you you know, again, you just continue to learn. So that was, uh, I think those are the, that part is the same. You know, the difference is that, you know, definitely felt a little more at ease just from just having a little bit of experience and kind of being familiar with my boat and that type of stuff. Yeah. Dorothy, any thoughts on that? Well, um, one thing that I really, really love on a passage is how if it's it doesn't happen on a three or four day passage, but on a longer passage, like a 10 or 12 day passage, you start to leave behind in your mind, you know, all your worries from home and you're just fully present on the boat and you're not thinking about the details of making landfall yet and, you know, where you're going to anchor and all of that stuff yet. So there's just this kind of timeless quality that happens and you're just fully present and you're just sailing. And I love that. And that's one reason I wanted to do this longer passage in the Pacific Ocean, which was 23 days. When we set out, it looked like 23 days kind of yawned before us like it would never end. And I thought, oh, I don't know. Why did I do this? But before you know it, the days just start ticking by. You get kind of a different view of time. And and at one point, we realized that we were only a week away and it seemed that seemed like nothing but that's longer than many of the passages that we've ever right. done you know but we were only a week out and that it's just a whole different perspective on time so that's one thing i've really loved and man as far as differences between uh between now and when i was you know like the first time i i don't know if you remember but the first time i was captain of the day uh on our boat with with you and teresa the very first we were in the ICW that day and I just went aground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, oh my God. First of all, I was terrified to be captain of the day because I just didn't feel like I could do it. And then I went aground because there was a missing marker in my defense. Yep, yep. Over time, I've become really comfortable on our boat and I'm, I, I can, uh, you know, in extreme, really heavy weather conditions, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I would, it, we really can use the two people, but, but in most circumstances, I can, um, handle the boat. And so when Fred is sleeping, I'm completely fine. And it's just, um, it's, it's just really a nice feeling that you can, um, I've really become comfortable with the boat. And so it's, it's, I've come a long way from that time of I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And, and, uh, I really just, I really do enjoy sailing the boat. I'm comfortable with it. Yeah. You, you guys are, are a pretty awesome couple. I would say, as far as that goes, you're both really, um, equal. It seemed to me on running the boat and there's no, um, gender difference or anything like that. You guys are both right up there doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done. One thing I was going to comment on that, Dorothy, is that, that um, I sort of generally call it the lazy man's Buddhism. Like you said, all that stuff gets left behind. You just have to live in the moment. All you can do is what, you know, what's ahead of you. And I, 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 I totally agree with you. I, I do enjoy that feeling. It's just, just kind of get in the groove and it's just you can't worry too much about what happened in the past. You can like you said, you're not close enough to worry about where the boat's gonna be anchored or this or that or the other. It's just like you're just in the groove. And I, I totally agree with you. I, I that is that is a nice feeling. Yeah. Yeah. When we were leaving Cuba when I had taken two crew from another boat and these crew that I took from another boat were experienced sailors. So um that 
that was awesome. But we were leaving at six in the morning and we had to stop at the um, the customs to, to clear out of Cuba and they had to search the boat one more time and make sure we weren't taking anybody with us or anything. And Michael, the husband of the crew that I had t- taken said, did, did he want me to um, take the boat to the dock? And I said, no, no, that's fine. I got it. And it just felt really good to, to say that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. Breaking down the stereotypes, that's what you're doing. Yeah. Guys, anything else you guys want to talk about? Well, I guess I have one about uh, just about uh, getting along because, you know, a a boat, uh, whatever, it's 30-something or 40-something is a small space for however many people for however many days. And uh, this is actually something I learned at the camp I work at in the summer. Um, if, If you have something that's on your mind that's kind of bugging you for longer than 24 hours, then you really need to talk about it. And, um, and I think one thing a daily scrum helps you do is bring things up that that in a way that is not uh, charged and loaded. So it might not be good to talk about something in the moment because everybody's maybe a little emotional about something that happened. But if you have just kind of a time of day that's typical to, to uh, either a scrum or just morning when everybody's rested to um, talk about something and not from a judgmental point of view, but just from a problem solving and um, um, appreciations and opportunities for improvement or, uh, you know, rose, bud and thorn or, you know, whatever way you want to do it. Just it's I think it's important to talk about stuff before it builds up. Absolutely. Now, is this something you implemented on the boat? Um not formally, so I just tried to do it uh, informally. And on a, on the passage that I that we just made in the Pacific, I just tried to bring things up. And it, you know, in that in that context, it was easy to do because I was the new person on the boat. You know, the crew, and uh, I could easily just ask about things. You know, and how they how they wanted them to be, or something that happened, and. Um, uh, if you just ask from the perspective of everybody's doing the best they can in the moment with, you know, with that as your your paradigm, then, you know, I think generally those kind of conversations go OK. Yeah, that's very true. It's uh, it's just like we do on the Outward Bound trips that we've we've led, Teresa and I, uh, every day. Little check-in and appreciations, just like you said. I'm sure it's similar to the, what you were talking about at the camp. So Yeah. Uh, and if you're doing that regularly, it's easy to bring up areas of improvement Yeah. and, and talk about that sort of thing. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a great way to run the boat and keep and keep things open. Yeah. Good for you, Dorothy. That's an awesome experience. Yeah, exactly. what, what's next on the agenda for you guys as far as sailing? Is there any plans? Well, our boat is in Florida right now is where we left it this year and uh, so we're thinking uh, Western Florida and Bahamas but I am still hankering for Bonaire so that's uh, that's that's in the back of my mind maybe the following year I gotcha yeah good yeah I'm 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 kind of in between. Um, I'm, you know, back at back at the workaday. Got a couple other life things going on that are going to probably limit my saying a little bit for the for the next year or so. But I still, I, I'm actually, I want to go north. I mean, I think that the north is a little bit more interesting to me, and we'll see if I can swing that at some point. Uh, you know, at least, you know, at least a northern North America, if not, you know, look into some type of transatlantic type thing. But that's, uh, but it, we're still, that's going to be a two or three year deal away at the earliest but you know just kind of going down that that's sort of what i'm thinking we'll see good 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 well you know we love it up there so come on up and hang out with us nice anything else guys no i think that's it yeah thanks for having us on fun to chat it is i know i feel like we could chat forever but you know we got to kind of keep it down to an hour here but yeah there's so much to talk about it's fun and you guys are great (laughs) 
Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to The Morning Muster wherever you get your podcasts or visit morsealpha.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Expeditions. The music is by Tim Erickson, my brother, and you can find him at timericksonmusic.com. Until next time, stay found.